If you have your Bible with you, please turn it to Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. And before we hear God's Word, both read and preached, let us go to Him asking for His blessing on both the reading and the preaching of His Word. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we long to hear You speak to us, O God. We long for You to shine Your face upon us, O great Son of Righteousness. We pray that Your Word would be illuminating to us that it would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, that we would know of the comfort that you give us according to your loving kindness in Christ. May we find rest in him as we hear your word read and preached now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Judges chapter 13. Then the sons of Israel again did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren, and had borne no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall be with child and give birth to a son. So now be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall be with child and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines." Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God, very awesome. And I did not ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall be with child and give birth to a son. So now you shall not drink wine or strong drink, and you shall not eat any unclean thing. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you have sent come to us again that he may instruct us what to do for the boy who is to be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again to the woman as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, and she said to him, Behold, the man who came the other day to me has appeared to me. Then Manoah arose and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to the woman? And he said, It is I, or I am. So Manoah said, Now your words will come to pass. What shall be the judgment governing the boy and his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Let the woman be careful in all that I said. She should not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. Let her keep all that I commanded. 
Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us delay so that we may prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you delay me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name so that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. Indeed, it happened when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven that the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife saw, so they fell on their faces to the ground. Now the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife again. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, We will surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to put us to death, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have let us hear things like this at this time. Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. And the child grew up and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanahadim between Zorah and Eshtel. Again, this is the word of God. Looking at our text, we see a very familiar theme that you should be familiar with when you go throughout the Scriptures. The people of God are in bondage, and the Lord promises in response to their bondage to send a Son who will deliver, who will save His people. Again, this is the story throughout the Scriptures. What we find at the beginning of the Scriptures is the first man a son of God, as he's referred to in Luke 3, 38. And it's in this son that we've all sinned. It is in that son that it has brought bondage to us all, that we deserve death, eternal death, and hell forever. Again, this is the bondage that we all face in our first father, Adam. But God did not leave mankind in their fall to despair. But He promised them what? A son. An offspring of the woman who would come, whose head would be bruised, but would crush the serpent. Excuse me. The head of the serpent would be crushed, yet His heel would be bruised. Again, of this son. Who is that son? the one who will liberate the sons of God from the bondage of death, hell, the grave. History continues throughout redemptive history of making, of of, of revealing this to the children of God. Who is that son? Who is that promised offspring? 
So if you were to go throughout the scriptures and looking at this, you would say, ah, is, is the son who's going to crush the head of the serpent and whose heel would be bruised, is it going to be Cain? He's the first son. No, he would kill his brother. Righteous Abel. Is it Noah? Surely it's Noah, right? He obeys God. He builds an ark. All of creation that would remain at that point would be gathered in to create a new earth, essentially. Is it him? No. Because right afterwards, what would he do? He would get drunk in his tent. Is it Moses? Surely it's Moses, right? This promised son who's saved from, from Pharaoh seeking to kill him? No, it's not Moses. Because he's a sinner like you and me. The list can go on and on throughout the Scriptures. And how what we see in clear view is always asking this question, who is that son? Because none of those sons can bring salvation, yet the only begotten Son of God who can. He can. That Son who was promised in the garden, it is that Son who will liberate the people of God out from the bondage that we need to be saved from. Where we find ourselves this morning in Scripture is one of those sons. Noah, Abraham, Moses. Yes, historical people that... Are sinners saved by the grace of God just as we are through faith in that promised Son? But those sons point to the greater Son who will liberate and free the people of God. Again, Samson is one of those sons who points us to the eternally begotten Son who will save mankind. And we'll see that throughout our text today. That in light of the people's need of being delivered, God promised a son who would save them. So this is the main point that I would have us to see in Judges 13 this morning. God sent His Son by the Spirit so that He would be the holy offering that saves His people. We'll see first in verses 1 through 5, God would send a son, Samson, to save His people. Verses 6 through 23, we'll see that this son who's promised was to be a holy offering to God. Verses 6 through 23. In verses 24 and 25, we'll see this son being born and that he was empowered by the Spirit. Then finally, what we'll see is that similar to Samson, the true Son of God would also lay down his life for His people. But of course we know that Christ is the greater Son as Samson is merely pointing to the work that Christ would do. Again, we'll talk about that when we get there near the end. But let's first look at verses 1 through 5 together in Judges 13. What we see right at the beginning is God's providential judgment against His people. The text says, Then the sons of Israel again did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Again, He gave them over because of their sins. And again, it says that the time period was for 40 years. The number 40 is something that you'll see often repeated in Scripture that ties to things such as trial. 
Think of the flood, 40 days, 40 nights. The children of God in the wilderness, 40 days. And then because of they're not obeying the Lord, 40 years in the wilderness. Even thinking of Jesus when he was in the wilderness, 40 days. And then all that pointing to God's judgment on his people, for they were doing what was wicked in his sight. Then in verse 2, we see the first people mentioned of this text. It says that there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. Let's think first of Manoah's name. Sounds very familiar to a name you might know, Noah. Right? I've already mentioned Noah. So his name, Manoah, means essentially the same thing that Noah's name does, which means rest. Rest. So this son of God, Manoah, would give birth to a son who would bring rest to the people of God. Again, this man, he's of Zorah, of the family of the Danites. The Danites, of course, being one of the tribes of Israel, one of the twelve tribes of the tribe of Dan. Now, this is Manoah. Who's the other person that we meet? It's, of course, his wife, who is unnamed. We don't know her name. It says in the text that she is barren and has never bore children, no fruit of her womb. But then we see something astounding happen in verse 3, that these mere men, Manoah and his wife, are visited by the angel of the Lord. Now, who is this angel? Well, first off, let's consider what the name angel means. It means messenger. It means messenger, one who is sent with a message. And from the context of our passage and from the title that he has of it, saying of him, he is the angel of the Lord, we know that this messenger is not the typical angels that we would normally think of when we hear that word, angel. This is not a created being. Again, we know from context. When we speak about God being judge, we don't confuse him with someone in a robe down in New Braunfels at a courthouse. It's from the context that we know that, yes, that's that kind of judge, but God is the ultimate judge. Who is this messenger? Malachi 3 speaks about two messengers. The first being John the Baptist. And then there's a second messenger mentioned. Let me read Malachi 3.1. The text says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger. Again, the same word for angel. I'm going to send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple... And the messenger, again the same word, of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, said the Lord of hosts. And in this passage, two angels, two messengers are mentioned. But we know real, very clearly when we look at our New Testament that Malachi 3.1, the first messenger that's mentioned of, is John the Baptist. We know he's not an angel with wings but he is one sent by God with a message to prepare the way 
of the Lord. But then there's another messenger that's mentioned. This messenger of the covenant. Again, the context makes clear who this is. This isn't Gabriel. This isn't Michael. This is the second person of the Trinity, pre-incarnate, who is sent from the Father to declare good news. Jesus is the messenger of the covenant, the angel of the Lord. Not a created being, the one who is sent from God to reveal God to man. Now to defend this, because I could assume some people will say, well, it says angel, so that means angel. Let's make really clear that when the angel of the Lord is mentioned in Scripture, I mean, again, the angel of the Lord, it is clearly God. That just as the angel of the Lord is the Lord, so is the Son of God the Lord. In Genesis chapter 16, verse 3, there is a direct reference given of the angel of the Lord, and he is called God. And I'll speak more on that verse when we get more into Manoah and his wife later in our text. Another instance of where the angel of the Lord is in view is Genesis 22, verses 15 through 18, where the angel of the Lord himself calls himself the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah. Exodus 3, Moses speaks to the angel of the Lord in the burning bush. And he says, he is the Lord. Now you may be, when you've read that text before, you would say, hmm, I thought it was the angel of the Lord speaking to him, but now it says the Lord is speaking to him. So is it God or the messenger of the Lord who's speaking to Moses? And the answer is yes. Yes. Again, very clearly, this messenger of the Lord is on display for us throughout the book of Daniel, which I've had the privilege to preach as an intern at South Austin Presbyterian Church before they called me to be a minister to Hayes County OPC. But throughout that book, it was so clear of showing that this angel of the Lord is not Gabriel or Michael. That this messenger, as... as uh, Nebuchadnezzar would say, is divine yet a son of man, a son of God who has the appearance of a man. That same appearance which Jesus shows himself in the book of Revelation to John. Again, if you were to pull up those two descriptions of the angel of the Lord when he appears to Daniel and what you see in Revelation, they match perfectly. Also too, John 1 shows that there is, that, that Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So just as the Son of God is God, the angel of the Lord is God. But also, He's personally distinct from the Father. The angel of the Lord is personally distinct from the Father, just as the Son of God is personally distinct from the Father. Joshua 5, it speaks of the commander of the host, the army of the Lord, and that he's worshipped. 2 Samuel 24, 16, in David's census, the Lord, in this case the Father, says to the one whom he sent to destroy, the messenger of the Lord, 
The father says to the son, it is enough. Now relax your hand. Both are God, yet personally distinct. Sounds very familiar, does it not? For if we would read the full context of John 1, 1, adding verse 2, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, why do I belabor this point in this sermon to give a, a mini uh, in-depth look, as it were, into who this angel of the Lord is? Because it's Jesus. That's why. That's why it's so important for us to know that this isn't just a regular, ordinary, created being. This is eternal Son of God, begotten, not made. What he says, not just with his words, but in his actions, shows forth his work to save his people out of bondage. So it's extremely important for us to know who this messenger is. And I declare to you this morning, this angel of the Lord, this messenger of the covenant, is Jesus Christ. Now this messenger of Yahweh comes to the woman with a message. He says to her in verses 3 through 5, he says, You are barren and have bore no children. Something that she, of course, knows. He says, But you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Then what happens after this is that he gives her instructions for how she ought to carry the child and, and even afterwards, after the child is born. Jesus says to the woman, so now be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat anything unclean. Now some of you ladies out there may say, yeah, I've heard that when you're pregnant you're not to, to drink a lot of uh, alcohol or what have you, and so I get that. But what's the whole idea there of him saying to her to not eat anything unclean? I'll speak more on that in a second. The next instruction that he gives is that this child, when it's born, is to not have any razor come upon his head. Here's why he gives her the dietary restrictions that he does. The messenger says, this child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. A Nazarite. In that Nazarite vow, you were called to do these things, to not drink wine or strong drink, not eat anything unclean, nor have a razor come upon your head. And that this child from the womb is to be a Nazarite, which in other words is that this son would be wholly set apart from the womb. And then it says, the messenger says of this son, he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And we think again of all the mighty acts of strength that Samson would later carry out in the deliverance of Israel. Now I'm going to verses 6 through 23. We see further speaking about this Nazarite vow that this child was to be a holy offering to God. In verses 6 through 14, the message that the messenger gives is said again, the wife to Manoah. The woman told her husband. 
She said, A man of God came to me. His appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. She says, I did not ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. She then relays the message that Samson will be a Nazarite to God from the womb, but adds something very peculiar, using that word from Sunday school, very peculiar in verse 7. Look with me. Just to read the whole verse, it says, And he said to me, Behold, you shall be with child and give birth to a son. So now you shall not drink wine or strong drink, and you shall not eat any unclean thing. For the boy shall be called a Nazarite to God from the womb. And again, what does Manoah's wife add to the messenger's message? He's to be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Already in view, this deliverer is pointing to his death. Manoah prays to the Lord that he would send the man of God again to them to teach them about uh, this news, about who this boy is and what they are to do. And of course, the Lord answers that prayer and the Lord sends his messenger to speak again to the woman. Again, the messenger comes to the woman while she's alone, by herself, just as at the beginning as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, of course, was not with her. So after he comes, she, of course, rushes off and says, hey, he's here, the one that told me this great news. He's back. The thing we prayed for was answered. Please come, let's go. And, of course, Manoah says to the man, are you the man? And in response, he says, it is I. Now, I don't know what English translation that you have before you there, but as a preacher, I would be very tempted that if this was the divine name to really hit home of him saying, yes, Jesus here is saying, I am. But the text doesn't say that here. It doesn't. It's simply an acknowledgement of saying, it is I. So that's why I made that correction in my reading there, which I am, again, is a very... Uh, faithful translation there, but just so not to confuse that the divine name there is not in view. He's simply saying, yes, I'm the one who came to your wife. Now what we see in response is Manoah's faith. He says to the messenger, now your words will come to pass, meaning concerning the son. And he says in response, how is the boy to live and what is his work that he is to do? And then the messenger of the covenant gives the reminder to be careful concerning the dietary restrictions and to keep all that he has commanded. Now what happens after this is astonishing. In verses 15 through 23, we first see Manoah wishes to show hospitality to this man of God who comes in the appearance of the man. He wishes to show hospitality to this messenger by offering a young goat for food. The messenger, of course, says in the text, I will not eat your food, but he asks that the goat be prepared as a burnt offering to offer to Yahweh, the Lord. And notice in the text, it makes really clear at this point that Manoah does not know who it is that he's speaking with. He doesn't know that he is speaking to God, face to face, the messenger of the Lord. The messenger veils this from him, that he is the Lord 
and will reveal it in an astonishing way. Manoah asks the messenger of the Lord after this, he says, what is your name? So that when your words come, we may honor you. The messenger of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. Or in other words, remarkable. Incomprehensible. I'll tell you this this morning, that there is no created angel in all of Scripture that is ever called wonderful. But you know who is called wonderful? The son that was promised. The Messiah. A child, a son who is called God, yet personally distinct of God. Isaiah 9, verses 2 and 6 say this, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the land of the shadow of death the light will shine on them. Now to verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called, say it, Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Again, he asks his name. He doesn't give it, but he says, why do you ask, seeing that it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering, and he offers it on the rock to Yahweh, to the Lord. Now, again, I, I'm not familiar with what English translation, I, I believe it's New King James is what you typically use, but the one that's before you, um, I hope that there, the word play here is in view in whatever translation, faithful translation that you're reading. But the text does make a play on the words when it speaks about His name who is wonderful. It says that He is about to do a wonderful thing. Look with me there. In verse 18, it says, But the angel of Yahweh said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to Yahweh, and he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. And again, what will happen here is a very similar thing that the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, did with Gideon in Judges 6. So when it's offered, the text says that the flame went up. It didn't say that Manoah lit the fire. God did. The flame went up. The Lord igniting, ignited the offering just like He did with Gideon in Judges chapter 6 with the staff that was in His hand, the messenger's hand. Again, this adds to the wonder of, this, of it all. That they, they laid it on a rock and then it be consumed by the fire of God. What was happening there is that the offering was given and through the fire, transforming, as it were, the offering, makes it that it transports to heaven. Think of the, the flame and the, the smoke that would go up to God's house, to His temple in heaven. 
Then the text says something very wonderful. Very wonderful. The text says that the angel of the Lord, when the fire went up, he goes in the flame. The angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar like the offering. What? The mother said that the boy was to be a Nazarite until his death. But his death points to the greater death of the Son of God on the cross. It would bear the full wrath of God, the flame of God's wrath on the cross. Something that Samson could never do. Again, that messenger, this messenger of the covenant is already pointing Manoah and his wife as well as the people of God that the son what God would offer would be laid on the altar of God in order that in him we would be reconciled and we'd be free in Christ. In response to this, this extraordinary thing that they just saw and heard, the text says, Manoah and his wife fell to the ground. We see very, uh, very similar. Something happened in Leviticus 9, 22 through 24 when the fire of God came down or came from God on the altar. Again, hear these words. Leviticus 9, 22 through 24. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. Again, similar to thinking of the rock there, that altar that Manoah and his wife were using. In verse 24, what does it say of the people of God? And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. What happens here with Manoah and his wife? Their faces fall to the ground. Because they're in the presence of the holy God who promises to ransom them through the son that he would offer. Thinking again of the words of Abraham to his son Isaac, the Lord will provide the lamb, my son, to be the offering. And this is what that son is promising to his people, that he would do it. Now in response to this, Manoah is afraid, and rightly so, because he's not just seen a created being. He's seen the Creator. Because he saw the angel of the Lord, he says, we will surely die, for we have seen God. Now, of course, we know if we know our catechism in our scriptures, God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body like men. And so with this, we see throughout redemptive history God revealing to himself. And how God reveals himself is through his son. And often in theophanies, and as we had mentioned, the angel of the Lord as well as with the 
fiery bush. But there are many times throughout redemptive history we'll see the second person of the Trinity come in the appearance of a man before his incarnation and making his word known to them. And there is so much similarity with all of these encounters. I'll give you two. You remember in Genesis 16, verse 13, where the first reference of the angel of the Lord is made by name. The first reference made by name of the angel of the Lord. Moses, who's writing by the inspiration of the Spirit, the Genesis account, the text says, Yahweh spoke to her. So it's the angel of the Lord spoke to her, but it's Yahweh who spoke to her. Then what it says, Hagar in response, she says to the angel, she says, you are a God who sees. Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Sounds very similar to what Manoah and his wife said, right? Or Manoah said. He says, we have seen God. Hagar says, you're a God who sees. Have I even remained alive even after seeing him? Another instance in Genesis chapter 32, verse 30, Jacob, after wrestling with the angel of the Lord, who had the appearance of a man, you recall just as Manoah asked for his name, so also did Jacob. Jacob asked, his name. He says, what is your name? Of course, the angel of the Lord did not give his name. But Jacob, in response, knew that he saw God and he called the place where they wrestled Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. Again, very clear, this messenger of the Lord is the Lord. And he has shown them wonderful things, showing of what he would do in the fullness of time and being on the altar of God for our sins, to be a pleasing offering unto God. In verses 24 and 25, we see the birth of this son, Samson, and that he was empowered by the Spirit. So the text says, the woman gave birth just as the messenger of the Lord said, just as Jesus said. And the text tells us that the woman named the boy, the child, Samson. The name Samson literally means son man. S-U-N. Son man. Think back to those words that I quoted earlier from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 and 6. Verse 2 says, A great light will shine on them. Again, this Son Man is pointing to the Son of Righteousness who will be a light to His people and to the Gentiles. Again, this Son of Righteousness is also mentioned in the book of Malachi, which is so full of talking about this messenger of the covenant, Son of Righteousness in Malachi 4, 2. This Son would grow up and be blessed by God. And in verse 25 it says, the Spirit of Yahweh, the Spirit of the Lord, so the third person of the Trinity is on display for us in the text also. 
the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadim between Zorah and Eshtel. Stirred him up to what? Stirred him up to save his people. Now I'm going back because I forgot to mention it previously, but in thinking about Samson's name and the significance of it and how he's pointing to the Son of Righteousness, Jesus, you recall that with Samson, he was to be set apart by taking this Nazarite vow. And so if you were to open up your Bible to where the Nazarite vow is, directly right after is those very familiar words that we hear spoken. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine upon you, be gracious to you, that he would lift his face on you and give you peace. Again, how, how does God do that? It's through His Son who shines on us forevermore. And we know of this Son who would be stirred up, Samson, to save His people. We know of Samson, just as his mother did, that he would eventually lay down his life to save his people. Again, in the providence of God, this is all pointing to the work of Jesus Christ. Samson is a type and shadow of Jesus Christ and the providence of God of pointing the people of God to the work of the Son whom He will send into the world. Now, of Samson, we'll read of him in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11.32. But if you were to read even this day, Judges 13-16, through 16, you'll see that Samson was not a righteous man. Like if we were to take the... the, the, the the amalgamation of all his... He, he was a very sinful man. But he was righteous, just as you and I are righteous, in the Son of Righteousness. Samson is mentioned in the Hall of Faith. And yes, he would lay down his life to preserve his people. But let me tell you about the greater son of whom Samson points to. Jesus is that righteous son born of a woman. Similar to how when we look at the birth of Jesus, we see not the angel of the Lord, but angels coming to pronounce his birth. We see Jesus, just like Samson, advancing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Luke 2.52 Just like Samson, it says of Jesus that he was empowered by the Spirit. The Spirit of God stirred him up. But we know with Christ that in no way like Samson, or like any of us, Jesus lived his life as a holy offering unto God all his days. And he would lay it down for his people. And in strike contrast between Samson. Samson's body is still in the grave. Our Lord's body is now in heaven. For He's risen. The Son of Righteousness died and rose again. He rose again. And the first to hear this message were who? Women. Again, I, I, not to try to speculate too much here, but I, I think it's warranted of of thinking about Manoah and how she is by herself in receiving this message alone. The first people to hear the good news of the resurrection of Christ 
were women. And the reason that I think, again, this is my opinion, the reason why I think that is, is because God is reassuring the people of God the reversal of the curse. The reversal of the curse. That the woman who is deceived and took of the fruit and ate, she is the one, the woman who first hears of this good news of the child that would come from her womb to crush the head of the serpent for his people. Now, what are some lessons for us in this text? Well, there's many. But the ones that I will list for us are as follows. Know this, that the Father sent His Son by the Spirit to be the holy offering that reconciles repentant sinners to God. Jesus is that righteous Son. It's not Adam. It's not Abraham. It's not Moses, it's not Samson, it's not David. Again, as I've already mentioned from the intro, all throughout the Scriptures there's this theme. Who is this Son who will redeem the people of God? Who is it? Who is it? And throughout redemptive history, it's that unfolding of the revelation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not Adam, it's not Abraham, it's not Moses, it's not Samson, and it's certainly not you, and it's certainly not me. The offering that you need is Christ. The one who took upon himself the fires of God's wrath, who's consumed as a holy offering unto God, a lamb without blemish. Christ is the lamb and also the priest who offered up himself to God for us, just as we saw the angel of the Lord go into the fires of the altar. So believe on him. If you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ to be that offering that reconciles you to God, come to Him. Believe in Him. Know that it's not because of your works or your righteousness or anything that you could do in order to get you favor with God. Rather, He has shown favor and grace through giving of His Son. And He only calls you to call upon Him while He may be found. This morning, if you do not know Christ, I implore you as a minister of Jesus Christ to believe on Him and trust in Him for the salvation of your soul and the redemption of your bodies. Also, too, I would exhort us to remember that how you and I see God is through Jesus Christ. You and I, beloved, have seen God with our eyes. Job 19, you know, Job speaks about seeing God with his eyes in his flesh, or within his flesh, he will see God. Psalm 17 speaks of the same thing, that he would behold God's likeness. How, how will Job and how will the psalmist see God? It will be in the face of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. Remember the words of Jesus when he said, when the disciples asked him, show us the Father that we would know. And he says, have you not seen me? He's not making a statement of saying that the Son is the Father. No, he's not confusing the persons of the Trinity. But he's saying that when you see one person of the Trinity, you see the Godhead, the triune God. 
And how has God shown Himself to us? It's in the face of Jesus Christ. So I implore you to know that how God has called you to look upon Him is not through images. We think of the second commandment. God has not given you a self-portrait of Jesus. But He has called you to behold Him, behold His face in His Word until you see Him face to face. So dear Christian, again, look to the Word and behold your Savior there. And then finally, know this, that the offerings that you give unto God, it's only by God's grace. Because God has accepted you in His Son, you are called and beckoned to humbly and boldly come to the throne of grace to offer up your own offerings unto God. I'll repeat the words of Manoah. After Manoah or Manoah's wife, Manoah, of course, first said, we will surely die for we've seen God. But his wife in response said, if the Lord had desired to put us to death, he would have not accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have let us hear these things like this at this time. So beloved, the reason why you're able to give offerings unto the Lord, the reason why he accepts your worship, the reason why he has shown you all these wonderful things and has caused you to hear the good news of his gospel, it's all by his grace. And it's that through that grace you would give your offering of worship unto God and He receives it. In conclusion, beloved, we look at this text and we see so many things of, of types and shadows that point to the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ. May we behold Him here, the Son of Righteousness, and may He shine upon us and reminding us of His covenant love to us and that He came into the world to be on the altar of God so that you and I could give offering unto God both now and forever in His blessed presence with His face shining on us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank You again that You have shined upon us in the Son of Righteousness. God, we thank You for all these wonderful blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray now, God, that You would continue to remind us of Your covenant love. And we pray now, God, that You would receive our offerings of, of tithes and offerings now as we give to the collection for the saints. Please bless our worship, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.